Welcome to Media Path. I'm Fritz Coleman. And I'm Louise Pelanker. Here on Media Path, we cherry pick from all forms of media to find things we think you'll find interesting. And if it turns out that you are interested, we offer some other ways to dig further into a specific topic. But the cherry on top of Media Path is always our guest. We've got a spectacular one today, Charles Phoenix. Charles, I'm telling you, is just what the doctor ordered. If you want to get out of your head and smile once again about the quirky beauty that makes America amazing, you're going to love our conversation with Charles. Such an interesting person and great stories to tell about Southern California in particular. But first, Wheezy, what have you got for us this week? Oh, well, I don't know if you saw this on on, uh, on the Netflix Fritz, if you do enjoy from time to time the Netflix. But do you remember when I recommended the booksellers documentary and I suggested that it should be mandatory for Fran Leibowitz to appear in every documentary? <laughs> well, the angels heard my plea. And by angels, I mean Martin Scorsese. This docuseries is actually Scorsese's second Fran-inspired creation. He sat with her 10 years ago as they collaborated on Public Speaking, a documentary film where the author espoused her philosophies. The Netflix series, Pretend It's a City, reunites the New York duo for more of the same. Across its seven episodes, the director converses with the author about all manner of things that irritate and inspire her. Fran and New York are a long-married couple— who would not know what to do without each other. This is Fran's dysfunctional love letter to the city of New York, and it is absolutely adorable. I just love her. She's so spontaneous and off the cuff and conversational in her humor. And I don't think there's a a better audience for a a comedian than Martin Scorsese. He's got a laugh that sticks out of a crowd. You could hear him through a jackhammer. He laughs so hard. <laughs> but I, I love him. And I love her because she kind of looks like her subject. She looks like New York, the hang dog <laughs> face, not perfect. And she's got a New York attitude in her physical presence. I just love her to death. She's, she's really good. No, I, I, I saw two. I think it's several episodes. I saw two, and I, I just loved it. It's a good, it's a good suggestion. It's I got like a couple documentaries. It's Go like ahead, a hug. Reason. It's like yeah. a hug, and I think we need that right now. Yeah, and there's a great part where she stands in the middle of this three-dimensional map of New York that I just have to go see sometime before I'm too old to walk. That thing is really cool. I got a couple documentaries. Uh, And today I'm going to make the long trip from one end of our country's racial discussion to the other, from our struggle for civil rights on one hand to the fear and loathing found in the white supremacy movement on the other hand, which reared its ugly head recently in the Capitol insurrection. The first film is MLK FBI. This is by IFC Films. It's on video on demand and prime video directed by Sam Pollard. There's been a lot of material about this lately, but this is a really beautiful look at it all. It's a film based on J. Edgar Hoover's surveillance of Dr. Martin Luther King between 63 and 68. Hoover was convinced that King was one of the greatest threats to the country. His feeling sort of uh, was that no single black man should wield this much power in the United States. And Hoover got his FBI to gather information through secret surveillance, wiretaps, tape recordings, And they were all used to paint Dr. King in a negative light whenever possible. And they tried to capitalize on King's friendship with Sam Levinson, who was a very uh, prominent CPA in New York who had some connections with the Communist Party, really didn't mean anything. King was not a communist. But this campaign to defame King worked because the polls at the time, we're all into polls these days, was that the FBI was at 50% approval rating, but Dr. King was at 17 so you, you see the headwind against Dr. King trying to make his nonviolent point. And some of the most damning recordings were made when Dr. King was having sexual encounters with women other than his wife. And these stories have been public for a while. The FBI sent copies of tapes to Coretta Scott King in an effort to get King, and this is the FBI's words, to kill himself. And all these years later, we've become aware of the sexual peccadilloes of J. Edgar Hoover himself, which might explain why he was so obsessed with Dr. King's sexual activities. The age-old myth of black men are a sexual threat to white women. Nothing new. I I love this documentary. Again, it's not new material. And I guess they're going to release all of these tapes so the public can see them at like 2027 or something. But here's my feeling about this. And you might have a different feeling, Wheezy, because you're a female and you have a slightly different perspective. King lived every day of his life 
afraid that this would be his last day. And he had reason to feel that way. He, he had a premonition about his own death. And he was away from home constantly. And he had pressure of leading his people down this dark road. And I think he might have just been, and he admitted it wasn't, there was nothing emotional with these women, but it was like momentary solace in these stressful and dark times. I'm not making an excuse for infidelity. I'm really not. I'm just trying to look at the psychology of this man. But what I was really impressed with Wheezy was this man remained so calm and so articulate, even when he was being attacked by the outside world, especially the media. His words were always as nonviolent as his actions. It's, it's a great film. What I found the most striking it, it, in the film is the ways in which he responded to what I'm going to call stupid white questions. Exactly. Yeah. And oh, like he, the Sunday morning talk shows, they tried to trick him up and he was perfect. He he always responded as if as it were, as if it were a legitimate question and not an ignorant white privilege question. He always educated. He always uh, valiantly attempted to help people understand his experience and the experience of being black in America. Uh, it, it was he, he was an artist. It was, everything he did was so beautiful. So when it comes to someone's sex life or someone's relationship with food or whatever it is, it, it, unless you're really harming someone, unless something's happening against somebody's will or to a child, then I just really don't think it's any of our business. You know, no. a lot of people are married to imperfect people and they either learn in a difficult way or they've really known all along and just sort of accepted. But I don't think it has anything to do with who he was. And I don't really even think these tapes should ever be released. Well, That's you might be right. I, and we've evolved to that viewpoint in America now. But back then, uh, with the help of people like J. Edgar Hoover, this pinched, crazy man. <laughs> pinched, crazy man. And before you Bill, go to your second... And Bill second, Sullivan, let's give that holy guy Holy cow. Yeah, and we've talked about him before in the midst of yeah. all the Watergate stuff. I just want to add, Weezy, if you don't mind... If you're interested in some of this material, a couple of books written by Dr. King that are very inspirational, Strength to Love and Where Do We Go From Here, two books that he wrote, and then a book called A Testament of Hope, which contains his famous speeches and teaching. If you want to be inspired, especially in these days when you're not sure there's any good leadership in America, it's really good. Awesome. Great recommendations. And you had another one, right, Fritz? I do. Uh, the other end of the spectrum now, this is Life After Hate. This is video on demand and I'm sure on other streaming services. Since the beginning of the Trump administration and reaching a peak during the insurrection of the Capitol, Americans have been reminded of how pervasive and dangerous the white supremacy movement is in this country. And it's, even with the exit of uh, the orange menace, it's not going away. Life After Hate. It's really a nonprofit organization set up by former white supremacists to help people jump out of these groups. Now, the film follows some folks who were able to work their way out miraculously. All of the reasons for the appeal of white supremacy, you probably could figure out on your own. It's the typical gang psychology. People from broken homes looking for family, looking for a tribe, people who had been abandoned by either mothers or fathers or both, people who had been abused as children, people who ex were exposed to violence and racism in their families, all those things. And Life After Hate helps people transition out. The really interesting thing to me is that the behavior, the lifestyle of any of the white supremacy groups is addicting. And all of the endorphin junkie that you become in any of those organizations is all the same. When white supremacy has been your whole thought process, when you go out, you're empty. You have no North Star. You have no life philosophy. So recovered people help them through the process of reestablishing an identity when they get out. That's the tricky part. And you will greatly admire the folks that were able to convince these people to change. And if you're interested in this topic, I suggest watching American History X. It's a fantastic movie by Edward Norton, and it's about Derek Vineyard, who is one of the men you'll actually meet in this documentary. Mm -hmm. So I love it. And in, it. In, the, in the grand history of bully psychology, a certain uh, element of insecure individuals will uh, 
falsely attempt to boost themselves up by pushing down on others. And one of the interesting comments made in the documentary by one of the participants was that, you know, they say they're all about preserving the white race, but rather than ever talking about how great the white race is, when they all get together, all they talk about is how horrible other races are. So it, it, these are hate groups and it's it's the kind of uh, behavior that's addictive in a way where nothing is ever enough. You may mm -hmm. feel boosted for a moment and then you may feel this impulse to go kick the ass of the next person who you see as or you hope is inferior to you and that's what makes you great. So rather than you being great, you're just trying to crush others and it's it's really dangerous behavior and so this this film you know showing the way out you know when i watched the insurrection i just looked at the screen and i looked at these guys and i thought these guys are all abusers from abusive homes you just can Absolutely. see it you can see it and then you told me about this documentary fritz and i was like exactly so how do what do we, what could we all do what could we all beyond how could we help this organization because there's a lot of work to do. Yeah, it's called Life After Hate. They're, they've been a nonprofit for a while. Support them. I'll tell you what, I think it's one of the primary issues of the Biden administration. I know we've talked a lot of ethereal stuff about peace and togetherness and working across the aisle. These guys are going to be a menace for a long, long time. I, I boil it down to one concept, testosterone poisoning. That's yes. Toxic masculinity. All right, let's have some fun, Weez. Our guest today, I've been a big fan of this guy for a while. I used to hear him on the radio and is exactly what we need. He is a salve, a vaccination against the depressed state that we find ourselves in. He's Charles Phoenix. And there aren't enough hyphens to put between all this man's various endeavors. He's a mid-century pop culture expert. That's my favorite title. A humorist, a historian, an author, a chef, a performer, an explorer, a collector. He's known for his classic car joyride videos, coffee table books, and his fun field trips. He's been on Food Network and Storage Wars and Cake Wars and NPR. And it's important that if you love him and, and you, you won't be able to help but love him, you'll have a blast with him. And that's a blast, which is a vintage word from mid-century. You get a ticket to his show streaming on YouTube this Saturday night starting at 6 o'clock Pacific time. It's called Addicted to Americana. Go to Charles phoenix.com to get your tickets his website i'm telling you is a work of art in itself charles welcome it's so nice to have you thank you for having me here let me ask you a question to start let's define a couple of things first of all what 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 uh, informs mid-century and what informs americana well that's a good question i mean mid-century to me uh means basically a period of time roughly between the end of World War II and kind of maybe mid-70s. So mid-century is a time period. Uh, some people refer to it as a style, an architectural style, which would mean like post and beam, which is uh, Palm Springs has kind of become the classic mecca of mid-century modern architecture. But I'm not necessarily talking about mid-century as a style. I'm talking about mid-century as an era. And within that era, I celebrate kind of the pop culture, the lifestyle and design. Mostly, I'm kind of a design person, really. Um, it all got started, um, well, I mean, I'm a child of Disneyland. I grew up in Southern California. My dad had a used car lot. So when I was a little kid, all the cars had big giant fins on them. And for <laughs> some reason, I paid a lot of attention. So as I did at Disneyland, I think I learned more than I did at school at Disneyland. I mean, schools of style, uh, or it's a school of style, basically. Basically, Disneyland is. And then also I paid attention at the mall, shopping mall, <laughs> so trends and fads and fashion and all that stuff. So, I mean, it's kind of a coming together of those sensibilities that made me who I am. I mean, I, that's what I paid attention to as a kid. And so now I just somehow kind of evolved into this person who celebrates classic and kitschy mid-century American life and style. I'm telling you, go to his website because... Cars are the greatest indicator of whatever era we're in. And you have your little joy rides in there, which are five to seven minute little videos of you with some especially pristine automobiles. How do you get those? Who, who helps you find those cars? They're amazing. 
Well, I've been collecting old cars from the 50s and 60s for, I mean, as long as I've been able to drive. And yes, there are some right there. Um, you know what? I mean, it's a seek and ye shall find. People ask me all the time, where do you find these cars? I have an eye for them. And, you know, when you have a goal and you're looking for something specific, you can probably find it most of the time. And uh, I go for the cars of the late 50s and 60s, late 50s and early 60s, the ones that have fins, the outer space age style. Those are the ones that I really like to highlight. And uh, I mean, it was a heyday of American motor, American motoring. And so I, I love all that stuff. And that's what I enjoy showing people the details of and, and showing you that they are there and what's important about these things. Can you talk a little bit about your slideshows, your slide presentations? The slideshows. Well, I basically, I was kind of a historian who stumbled into being an entertainer. Um, <laughs> and it all kind of came into being, well, it really, what really happened was I found a, a shoebox full of someone else's old slides uh, in a thrift store in about 1992. And I started collecting other people's old slides. And then in these slides, I started finding like, you know, all these things that I wanted to share with people, the cars, the clothes, the places they went. And so I had, I started having slideshows in my living room. And the next thing you know, I'm in a theater and people are paying for it. And I've been doing that for over 20 years. So now I can't really do that anymore because we're not in theater. So I've taken it online. And I've actually done books as well. Uh, the show that I'm doing this weekend is called Addicted to Americana. It's based on uh, a book that I did a couple of years ago called Addicted to Americana, as you can see right there. Yeah. And uh, I mean, it's, you know, I, I mean, there's so much to explore. It was such a colorful period in American history. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of whimsy. I keep it on the light side. There's nothing ever heavy about it. We enjoy enjoying it. Um, celebrating it and you know it's part of our history I noticed Fritz used the word quirky uh, which you know I mean we can say it's quirky but it's really real I mean you know Bob's big boy there he is right there I mean that's that guy is real <laughs> history right there no so, I know uh, you know and when people come from bad out of choice town, of words sorry what? I know there are other words you hate. Uh, you hate no, the word. No, that's not. I don't hate that word. I'm just saying. No, actually, I know. You know what word I never use? Believe it or not. Seriously, Let me guess. I nostalgia. never say history. History never use and memory history. lane and nostalgia are the words that you hate. I was told by several dozen people. Oh no, <laughs> that can't be possible. That you were told by several dozen people. Um, I never use the words memory lane. Yeah, because that's like a '70s word. Nostalgia <laughs> is not an N word. I mean, an, an N I N I N. That's what I meant. It's not, it's yeah. not a word that's in style. That's yeah. what I meant. Yeah. But I um, want to stop for a moment and talk about slides, because to me, for those mm -hmm. of us who grew up with slides as an option when you bought film for your camera, what's interesting to me about slides is that uh, you often selected the slide. It, it was the film was slide film. So you'd off, often you would select that because either it was less expensive or the processing was less expensive. I can't remember. But the thing that happened then was that you looked at them once because it was a big production <laughs> right. and everyone came over and it had to be nighttime. You had to move the pictures off the wall and it was a big deal. So you've seen them once. And so if you have drawers of slides at home, I highly encourage you to go and get them transferred over to a JPEG because there are hidden treasures all over the world in our slides. There are, but you know what? There was nothing cheaper about it. It was more expensive. Oh, really? Uh, here is a slide right here. Yeah, I started collecting other people's old slides uh, 27, 28, 29 years ago, and it changed the course of my life um, because I found, you know, what I found in these slides was something, you know, I mean, it, it was interesting to me to, me to see all of, uh, you know, what people have captured over the years. And That's such a good point. They seem very personal and family-oriented, but really what they are is a microcosm of all of America. They are, and you never know what you're going to find. It's like a box of chocolates. So from these zillions of slides that I, <laughs> that I collected, I created these shows, these different shows with themes, and I've traveled the country ever since doing them, and you know, kind of going in search of a lot of stuff that I found in the slides, which, you know, made my life a lot more interesting. So it's, it's you know, it's a celebration. What I do is I celebrate our culture. So Charles, you know, if people have trays of slides, 
Because it's intimidating. It's like, oh, I have trays of slides. How do I, what do I do? Hold it up to the window? What's the best way for people to bring their slides back to life? Well, I mean, there's a million ways now. I mean, you can just literally get a loop and hold them up to the, to the light. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, there's, there's so many ways you can watch them. You can get an old projector or, you know, some people saying I'm scanning the entire collection. Well, you don't need to do that. Just scan the good ones that you like. But the fact is, is that there is no better medium to, for anything ever to have been captured in than Kodachrome. Kodachrome captures more colors than digital. Any, and digital cannot capture the amount of color and range. It's a warmer, it's a warmer light in Kodachrome. It's it vivid, is. it's inviting. And, um, it's... It, it was a perfect medium to capture mid-century America, for sure. So slides are no longer an option. A code, our Kodachrome no longer exists. It hasn't been processed for over 10 years. Um, because according to the legend, you know, it created nuclear like waste. <laughs> so do you go on eBay and try there. to buy buy slides from people or do they submit them to you or? Um, people leave them on my doorstep. I <laughs> sometimes buy them. I, I got started because, uh, well, I found some in a thrift store. So that, that really pushed me over the edge. And then I started going to estate sales in the 90s. That's really what did it. And there was always a box of them under a table, and they were always five dollars. So within, within these within these boxes that cost me five dollars, I have amassed this archive. Now, yes, I curate every collection that comes in. I don't keep them all. I go through them, I edit them, and I have you know, I mean, a lot of categories, a lot of categories. So is it so you do a, 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 a different themes? I do. Like, My uh, shows children are children in inflatable I mean, the pools. The show I'm doing this Saturday night live on <laughs> YouTube. My live stream show, Addicted to Americana, is basically you know covering the United States. And not only is it the vintage images, it's me going in search of a lot of stuff that I found in the images. So um, there's a lot of storytelling, and it's always like you know unexpected things happen. So it's really kind of a road trip adventure. The show that I'm doing. I mean, the slides kind of paint the picture along the way. And then boom, we're in like today's world of me going in search of something. Um, and you know, there's always something wacky that happens, of course. I mean- In pre-pandemic times, did you do these live? Like go to an auditorium and have a whole show? Uh, yeah, yeah, oh. totally. I mean, I used to, I followed you a couple times, Fritz, at like oh my Brea, God. in Brea I'm sorry. Theater. Oh, I love that little place. I know. So yeah, I mean, they've, they've had me on their stage over the last 20 years, many, 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 many times. They've been great customers. but. I've gone all over. I've gone to even to Europe to do these shows. So American pop culture, retro American pop culture is, is very visual and uh, very unique. And it really represents a very special time and place. And you know, I always say I love to look through the layers of time. Everywhere I go, I'm always in search of what makes that community different or interesting. I'm not traveling to see something uh, in a town where I go that I can see in my own town. Like, you know, what makes what makes Los Angeles unique? Well, I have some friends from Chicago here right now, and I'm about to take them when we're done. I'm gonna take them to Alvera Street and Chinatown and Philippe's and, you know, um, Grand Central Market and show them a little bit of, you know, what's unique about our downtown. Uh, and they're like, we don't have anything like this in Chicago. <laughs> no, you don't. And that's the reason why I'm taking you to see this because it's special. And you mentioned uh, Europe, and, and and that's what I thought of when I, I saw the website. I thought, you know, if people, particularly people who only know us from films uh, or only know us from legend, were to have a, a, a fantasy about the United States, particularly people my age, baby boomers, those would be the fantasy images you would have in the United States, cars with big fins and bright colors and sunshine and smiling people. I mean, really, uh, uh, I, I bet it's a big hit in Europe. Well, it is. I mean, it's a big hit everywhere. I mean, obviously not everyone's into it, but there are a lot of people who really are into it. And, you know, it's it's never going to go away. It is a hard part of our, it's a it's a hard fact that this is part of our history. Mm -hmm. um, all that mid-century, everything's colorful. I mean, like, Back, you know, in the 1950s, you could get a car in pink or purple, you know, buttercup <laughs> yellow, turquoise, aqua, emerald green, metallic. I mean, they had, it was such a colorful era. Yeah. So it's very visual to look at. And it had to match your wallpaper. 
Right, exactly, wallpaper. <laughs> I mean, we love wallpaper, it's hilarious. See, that's the thing, I have a sense of humor about it, but not only do I have a sense of humor about it, I know, you know, I, I can give you the kind of the context of it. And so, yes, I give you the context and then I give you a little kind of a funny twist on it. So we're not laughing at it, we're laughing with, with it. it. We're really celebrating it. So I, I have a design expertise I can tell you all about you know, everything that everyone's wearing in the pictures, the details of all what all the details are called and the fabrics, the cars they're driving, what kind of cars they are, what year they are, the type of architecture that's behind them, how old it is, you know, why it's great. I mean, I'm really only showing greatness. I mean, I do <laughs> cherry pick the stories and the, the images I tell to represent something wonderful. We don't go down, we don't go down the, you know, anywhere else but happy. We're on the happy side of the street, sure. let's put it that way. And for me, what's what's so interesting about uh, retro design is it's precious how hard they were trying to be futuristic. Oh, that's, some, that's the crowning touch of it all. I mean, there are so many motifs that were popular in the mid-century era, like, you know, Tiki Exotica was a big thing. I mean, just look <laughs> at Disneyland, early American, um, you know, kind of old world European style like French provincial furniture or whatever. But the <laughs> most fun is all of the futuristic stuff. And yeah, cars, as you said, Fritz, I mean, nothing really embodied that, that optimism like the cars did. So if you like Google, like a 59 Cadillac or whatever, I mean, you're not gonna believe your eyes. I mean, just the other day I was telling some, you know, my, my cousin has a 12 year old and I was saying like, the reason they designed this car this way is because they, they thought it, they better make it look like a rocket ship or else no one would buy it. <laughs> we're going to the moon. I mean, the mood is up. And standard living is flying high. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, I love the optimism of the era. I love the optimism of the products and the, and the great design. I also love the quality of the goods that were produced during that era. I mean, just look at the cars themselves. I mean, gosh. They really hold up. I mean, if you keep taking seven care of tons of beauty, what? <laughs> seven tons of beauty. Well, two big tons. steel, you know, monsters. Yeah, I mean, they're 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 they handle well though, because I love to drive old cars. But anyway. when you when you uh, uh, adopt uh, slides from a family, do you use their real names in your presentation? No, never, because nobody cares. In the uh -huh. beginning, I thought I would, but no, it's it never. It's it's about it's not really about them. It's about all of us mm -hmm. is what it is. I mean, it's about a whole, I mean, we're not really singling people out or families out in these images as much as we're um, seeking to just kind of say this, this was, this was us, you know, have you, this right. have, you, have you ever encountered anyone who's in one of your slideshows or maybe felt the urge to say, were you in the Grand Canyon in 1957? Or <laughs> has anyone well, come to a show who recognizes anybody on the screen? Yes, yes, that's that's the question that always is asked. Of course, people love that question. And, you know, it's only happened a couple of times. I mean, one time somebody screamed out of the audience, oh my God, that's my parent's best friend. He's 85 now. Well, oh. that was about 15 years ago. So now he's 100. Um, <laughs> wow, that's so cute. So it, it has happened, yeah. Wow. People, and, I mean, have recognized people a couple of times. So, mm -hmm. you know, you 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 uh, mentioned it just briefly there that you um, are uh, uh, an architectural historian as well, and actually give tours of Los Angeles, pointing out various types of architecture where they fit in. You know, we're the we're the consumer throwaway culture now. They call it the cancel culture. Do you feel as I do that we don't protect? our physical history, particularly in Los Angeles, as much as we ought to in the United States? We're, we're well, too Los Angeles, you know, hasn't been that bad, really. I mean, we've lost so many things, but nothing lasts forever. Everything has its time. I am a realist at the end of the day about all of this. I mean, if you like a place, if you think a place is precious, then go there and buy their products. That will help them stay. Tell them you like that vintage neon sign out front, if they have one or something, and that's the reason why you're there. But, you know, we still have so much in this town. I don't really cry over what we've lost as much as I prefer to shout about what we still have. I mean, you know, again, I was just, my friends visiting from Chicago this week and I was driving them around and they're like, you know, I mean, we were driving around Burbank 
I mean, I said, okay, here's the deal, you guys. It would take a lifetime to see everything in Southern California. There is so much. And they're like, well, just in Burbank, we saw so many things. We saw the Lakeside Car Wash from 1956. And we saw the, the Safari Inn neon motel sign from 1959. And we went by Monte Carlo, Pinocchio, that hot table to go Italian market <laughs> restaurant from 1958. I mean, we saw the circus, the big circus liquor clown in North Hollywood. I mean, we saw the, the idle hour barrel shaped restaurant. We saw little Tony's blinking sign, the Italian restaurant. I mean, we saw the Starlet Motel, we saw Warner Brothers, we saw, I mean, there's just, I mean, they're like, we cannot believe how much vintage stuff you have in just a few miles. I'm like, actually, yes, Los Angeles is very vintage. It really is. So there's tons of stuff everywhere. You just have to know what you're looking for and know it, what you, know it, know it when you find it. Mm-hmm. And I do, because I have dedicated my life to having an eye for this stuff and kind of getting enough of a backstory to be able to put it in context to, you know, to present it. And then also, you know, have a little fun, you know, having a little a giggle. Not laughing, as I said before, a minute ago, not laughing uh, at it, but laughing with it. So I like to add humor to it. I like to have a sense of humor about history. And again, um, you mentioned the words that I don't use. I don't <laughs> ever say the word history either, because in our culture, History doesn't have a lot of value, unfortunately. I mean, we, or if it does, we don't label it as history. History is not a ka word. So, you know, a smart uh, entertainment lawyer, when I first got started uh, doing this, he said, lose the word history. You are not a historian. You're an entertainer. Because entertainers have a lot more value than historians in our culture. And wow. so, it's so interesting. that happened, it changed everything. I went from being a historian to an entertainer. And so then all of a sudden I can sell, you know, charge more for the tickets. I mean, or whatever. <laughs> you know? So what's I the mean, greatest undiscovered, uh, 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 you just, when you were going through that whole panoply of Burbank stops, my mind was going really fast with you. It was so good. But is there a great sort of uh, best kept secret in Southern California for tourists? Where do we begin? <laughs> uh, I mean, seriously. No, there are so many things. I mean, I'll tell you, yeah. I mean, because we're in pandemic times, I'm like, what am I going to do? Again, with the friends visiting from Chicago. I mean, I love to visit other places. And then I love to have the people come here and me be a tour guide. Um, I, I think I was born to be a tour guide. Um, so I took them to, uh, we went on a Duffy ride around Naples and Long Beach. You can rent a Duffy. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. You can do social distance in the Duffy. You know, um, there were two in the front of the boat and two in the back of the boat. Well, and I was one of them driving. Um, so that is a well-kept secret, a Duffy tour in Long Beach. I mean, there's so much. There's just so much. It's kind of hard to just sum it up in a best-kept secret. One of my favorite places in Los Angeles is Watts Towers, the oh, legendary yeah. folk art, uh, structural, environmental, extravagantical. Yeah, I just said, said extravagantical. <laughs> Extravaganza, um, you know uh, Watts Towers, of course. Right. Um, you know, a lot of people don't know that much about the history of the theme building at LAX. So, you know, that was built in 1961 when they expanded the the airport, the Jet mm-hmm. Age expansion of LAX. It was the crowning touch. Uh, it is what I call the second greatest outer space age futuristic mid-century modern building on the planet. Uh, the first has to be um, the Space Needle. We might as well get it out in the open. <laughs> but, our, the second, but, you know, really the most important building of the 20th century, the most important commercial building of the 20th century, you guys. Now, we may not live long enough to, you know, for collectively as a society to all agree, but we, we're <laughs> going to have to get it out in the open right now. In the future is um, they'll, they'll all know it for sure. Randy's Donuts. Oh, yeah, I know. No, I know. seriously. Seriously. It, it has it all. It has That's it like all. a point of the compass when you're flying into LAX. Well, we're almost home. It, yeah, we're home. I mean, I you have arrived. When you yeah. see, well, the theme building says welcome home uh, or welcome to LA if you don't live here. And then Randy's is always the first stop. So yeah, Randy's <laughs> Donuts. That is actually the new Randy's Donuts. That's the one they just built in Downey. So recently Randy's was sold and now they are, I'm not sure if they're franchising or what, but they are building other Randy's stores. Downey, according to what I was told, is the only city so far that'll let them, that let them build that big giant donut on the roof. 
Wow. So the Randy's Donuts building that we know by LAX was built in 1951. And uh, I mean, you know, yeah, Icon. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm right there with you. Well, Absolutely. I'm obsessed with your Carpenters themed Downey tour. So please educate us. What, <laughs> what Carpenters, we... uh, of course, were a legendary brother and sister singing duo, uh, a fairy tale with a tragic ending. We don't have to tell the tragic ending right now, but during their heyday of the 1970s. Yeah, they lived in Downey. So among the tours that I had, I used to do tours around town. I don't really, I mean, public tours. I, I haven't done them for a while, but yeah, we did it the Yesterday Once More tour of Downey, showing all <laughs> the places the Carpenters had anything to do with. But the big tour that I did for 15 years, um, a few times a year, was the, what I called the Disneyland tour of downtown Los right. Angeles, where I said, we don't have one Disneyland, we have two. So yeah, I mean, you guys, we live in a wonderland to discover. I don't care where you go or where you are. There's something interesting around every corner. There are stories to be told. I love looking through the layers of time. I always go in search of local mom and pop businesses. And you know, I mean, they're getting rarer and rarer and rarer, but there are gems and jewels among us everywhere. Every community has, I mean, in Southern California or wherever you go, there's always some interesting things. I just have trained myself to have the sensibility to know where and how to look for them or to find the people who can lead me there. You know, it's like, so there's stuff. I mean, I'm looking for what's unique, what's special, what's rare and what, you know, has, you know, what's time honored. I love the layers of time. So, and, and, you know, the stories that go with them. Now, are you cluttery around the house or, or are you able to home edit? <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I, I think I'm okay at not, not being super cluttery, but I'll tell you, as the years have gone on, people give me stuff and send me stuff. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I, I, the thing is, though, I will tell you what I learned from a brilliant genius person 25 years ago that lived in Venice. Yeah, Venice Beach. I don't know why I'm telling you why they, where they live, but <laughs> they said to me, they said, look, here's the deal. In order to be a good collector, you've got to be a great editor. So that's, mm -hmm. that's the real deal. Collect whatever you want, but you've got to be a great editor. And it reminds me, when I first started collecting other people's old slides, I went into, I think it was the Fahey Klein Gallery, which is a photo gallery on La Brea in the mm -hmm. middle of town. Very highfalutin, very top drawer, very fine. <laughs> and I said to the lady, I walked in the door like I own the place, and I said, I collect other people's old slides. Now this is in the early 90s, before found photography had become a thing, a thing. And she said to me, well, they don't mean anything unless you do something with them. You have to interpret them. So, um, I mean, I'm not really sure if that truly inspired what I ended up doing, but it, it helped me to realize, you know, you, you need to, the collection needs to be yours, not somebody else's. So, yeah, editing, editing, editing. I mean, it's so important to edit if you're a collector. You can't keep it all. And, you know, like with uh, collecting classic cars, which I have for decades, always trading up. You know, it's like you, you got to, there's always something better to find. So anyway, yeah. So it, uh, I'm pretty good about not being super cluttery, although, you know, it's <laughs> cluttery right now. I mean, so I you're, you're things out and about behind me. You can see this. Uh, this is a very actually super oh, rare. This is from the 1950s. This is Thummer from the LA County Fair. Wow. Who was uh, styled after Porky the Pig. And of course, Warner Brothers came after him and said, I don't think so. <laughs> and uh, anyway, so here he is. Um, but yeah, we love this. It's, a, it's just a paper standee. And, you know, I, I don't know that there's another. I've never seen another one. I mean, I'm sure another one exists. But, so you you're know. not of the American picker school of collecting, which is you go to Alabama and you go in some old guy's stable to look for a Texaco sign. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm not above that. I'll go oh. anywhere. I mean, I am a treasure hunter. I'm a story hunter. And then I'm a presenter of that. So, you know, it takes a lot of time to, um, you know, go after this stuff. But you kind of, you know, after a while, you kind of know how to ferret this stuff out. Um, if you have time for a really quick story, I got to tell you, I mean, I don't we know have plenty of time. Go long. As long as oh, it's not over time. a half hour. Oh, we do have time. Okay. So I'll tell you the story. <laughs> I grew up in Ontario, California. And uh, when I was about six, no, 14, 14, I was 14 years old. I was in a local community theater play that they did. And the owner of the theater's cousin had a party. So I'm 14. I go to this party, this cast party 
And I'll never forget she had a stack, stacks, stacks and stacks of drink cups from fast food restaurants and drive-in restaurants. And so I'm 14 and she's about 20 or something. And she's like, oh, you're interested in those? And she starts showing them to me. And she had written on the bottom of them who she was with, what kind of car they were in, wow. what they had, where they were on their way to or from. So I never forgot this. So about five years ago, the son of the owner of that theater came to one of my slide retro slideshows. And he said, um, I'm the son of, and you were in a show in our theater when you were a teenager. I'm like, yeah. And your dad has a cousin who was in the show who had all these drink cups in her corner at her house that she saved when I, because I saw him at a cast party. And he goes, I don't know what you're talking about. So I said, call your dad, find out who his cousin is and uh, see if she still has those cups. Well, five years later, he calls me back. And this is just last week. He calls me back. And I said, we found our cousin. And yes, she still has all those drink cups. So I just talked to her on the phone and she still has them from like 65 to 1965 to 1968. All these fast food stand drink cups with all these amazing graphics. And like she started reading some of them to me. And she was like, this was when we were on our way to see the doors in Hollywood. The doors. Wow. The Herman's Hermits. I mean, it's just incredible. So you never know what you're going to find. And I told her, I said, look, I mean, it's bizarre that 40, 40, whatever year, 45 years later, I found you and you still have the cups. But I said, no one else in all my years of researching all this stuff. I mean, artifacts are a thing. And I've never found anyone else who collected the cups. So yeah, I just, you know, you, you kind of get obsessed in a way and you go after it. And when you find, you know, something special, you put it up on a pedestal and share it and tell the story of it. So what did you start collecting uh, when you were a child? Uh, well, what did I start collecting? I mean, really, you know, I first discovered thrift stores when I was 14 years old. And, uh, you know, that was a real turning point to me because I found thrift shops to be the perfect place for me to study the underbelly of our mass consumerism culture. <laughs> I found them to be, seriously, museums yeah. of merchandise, schools of style. And uh, I started wearing vintage clothes. And, you know, I mean, I was always a little, you know, artistic, let's put it that way, with an eye, more of a, a visual person and, I, and with a photographic memory. So, you know, and I'm probably, you know, although never, uh, you know, it's never been official, but I'm probably dyslexic now that I think about it. I mean, I don't think about it, but I, I probably am. So looking at a picture is a very easy thing for me to do. That's interesting. Yeah. And so I can, you know, really give you, pick out the talking points out of it. And, you know, usually there has to be about three talking points for it to be special enough. Um, but anyway, now I forgot, what did I first collect? Um, so, you know, from vintage clothes I started collecting. When I moved out to LA from Ontario, California, when I was 19, I you know, did my uh, Hollywood apartment in a beautiful blend of Western ranch and Chinese modern. <laughs> and, you know, I just like to have fun with it. I mean, that's the thing. People take it all so seriously. And that is exactly what I, I am serious, but it, it's, it's all, I don't want to say sugar-coated, but it's, 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 it's happy-coated. You know, it's like, we're, this is fun. You know, what we're doing here, uh, what, I'm, what I'm sharing with you, what I'm showing and telling, we're having fun. We're celebrating our culture. No, it's not, I mean, in like, you know, mid-century, of course, like every other time in every other part of history, there, it's not all perfect. I know that. But we're not talking about that. We're, we're picking out the gems and the jewels. We only have a couple of hours or an hour and a half or whatever to do all this when, you know, like on, in a show or whatever. So I can't talk about everything, but I can really talk about some special stuff. So that's... High school, high school history teachers could take many survival points out of what you're talking about. If, if all of these dusty, shadowy past subjects were made more interesting, either visually or with sound or performance, uh, I, I think kids would grasp history a lot better than they do. Now. Well, yeah, I agree. Presentation. I mean, one thing that I know for sure is people have told me over and over. I mean, they said to me, I'll never forget, I was doing a show at the Egyptian theater in Hollywood. And this lady came up to me after and she said, you know, we love all the stuff that you talk about, but we actually love you loving it more than we love it. Ah, that's it's your very enthusiasm. And you know what? It's, it's proves that it's not really what you say is how you say that's it. so interesting you know so enthusiasm is nine tenths of the law in presentation you yes. know i mean think I about think, the what 
I think we're in love with relationships. So we're in love with love. And it doesn't have to be love between a person and a person. It's it's just love and passion. That's we and we just enjoy uh, sharing someone's passion with them. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You nailed it. We're in love with love. And and like, you know, when someone is like, you know, loving something, uh, you know, lavishing lavishing praise on it and and then also able to kind of give you you know a little bit of why this is special and then they um, see it differently yeah, as well like and i'm wondering if you've ever had a chance to meet uh and talk with a graphic artist from this time period a graphic artist well i do know a lot of graphic artists um we a did, lot of graphic when artists you, come when you look at the design the design the initial design of course we love it retrospectively but the initial design its intention was to bring delight. Yes, the graphics of the mid-century era, graphics of the 50s and 60s are really fun and really colorful with exuberant fonts. I always call it the uh, font of optimism. Grandmother's <laughs> handwriting, you know, the signage back then. If you just look at like, you know, mid-century signage or whatever, I mean, it's just so amazing. Now, granted, the people who are actually doing the work were trained artists and knew about art history and, you know, were really train now anybody can get into photoshop and make something and slap it up there i'm not talking trash about today's world i'm not i, I don't do that at all and i never say i wish i was living then uh, instead of now it's fun to look at that look back and pick out the gems and jewels and talk about them and present them but you know i always you know i mean it's not part of my show but uh, sometimes i say to people you know if we could actually go back in time we would be shocked <laughs> yeah I mean, shocked. They were still looking for a polio vaccine. I think we would be shocked mm -hmm. over the negatives. You know, right. things might look pretty and you might have a really amazing car or whatever in a beautiful house with a, you know gorgeous furniture and everything might look great when you go out. But, you know, we would be but shocked. everyone if, smoked everywhere. Well, yeah. that's one thing that I always say. Yeah, lots and lots and lots and lots of cigarette smoke. I mean, can you imagine? No. You know, remember when you were a kid or whatever, and you'd go to your uncle's <laughs> house, and your uncle would be sitting there smoking up a storm, and no one said a word, and the whole time you're like, <laughs> At Thanksgiving dinner, and then put the butt out in the mashed potatoes or something. It used to drive <laughs> me nuts. Hey, Charles, give us a status update on Route 66. That was always sort of the Americana tour for many people for many years. Have they up? kept all of the, like the Wigwam Motor Hotel and all those places? Yeah, there's two of those on Route 66, and they're both really fun to stay at. Um, Route 66, of course, is the mother road between Chicago and Los Angeles, and uh, it's the ultimate American highway. Uh, it, you can drive most of it now. Uh, there are, it's, you know, it's, it's, a lot of it's in ruin, but that's interesting too. I mean, you know, nothing is, per nothing stays perfect forever. And so, you know, you got to take it for face value. It is what it is. But there's a lot of amazing things and moments and, and stories to be told and stories to, to uh, find out and experiences to have along Route 66 today. It's nice Absolutely. that you celebrate disintegration as much as you do with the continuation of things. Wait, why'd you to, say what, Fred? It's nice that you celebrate disintegration along with, you know, I am a realist. I am a total realist. So, you know, I can also find beauty in decay. I, mean, I, I can. I can. I mean, there's, I like something, I generally like something more. I like, you know, what I look for more than perfection or decay is a story. What's the story? You know, I mean, there, you know, if it has an interesting story to tell, I mean, condition, condition, condition isn't everything. Nothing is in perfect condition. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about your TV stuff. <clears throat> you you, uh, you did the Cake Wars Christmas. I love those things. It's amazing somebody doesn't get stabbed on one of those things. Well, I was a judge on Cake Wars on Food Network a couple of times, and uh, you know it was a it was a fun experience. I mean, it's kind of shocking to realize you know that to produce one of those Cake Wars shows, they've got like literally eighty four people running around a set. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's like the expense of producing one of those shows. Um, but, you know, it was done, it was done with integrity. Um, there was only, the only cheating they did, I was there the whole time I saw everything. The only thing they cheated on was when they say, you have 30 minutes, that really meant 45. When they said, you had three hours, that really meant about three hours and, and a half. But that I'm was shocked. it. Everything I'm else shocked. was totally legit. 
I think that, you know, the Food Network has probably taught more people to cook in this country than grandmothers and parents have. Probably. People, and people I like to it. make up recipes as well. So I did make, I have a few in my book, Holiday Jubilee, that I made up, including this, the Chirpumple. And that is the uh, cherry, <laughs> pumpkin, and apple pie, each one baked in a different layer of cake. The cherry and white, the pumpkin and yellow, and the apple and spice, cream cheese frosting. That's the cake. Okay, Charles, a, how much ahead. of that can a, a human consume before perishing? Well, <laughs> I mean, you know, it's so funny that everybody, like, gives it a bad time, but, like, everything else we eat is totally healthy. You know, uh, I'm also very much into food and food trends, and everywhere I go, I look for local foods. So, um, you know, every region has its local food. Like if you go to Palm Springs, date shake, where else are you going to go and have a date shake? Nowhere. Does so, it have to be Americana oriented recipes or are you interested in all cuisine? Well, I mean, I'm more interested in, you know, vintage recipes. You mm -hmm. know, I mean, I think it's fun to look at them. Um, but, you know, I, I happen to be one of those people who I had a mother who made everything from scratch and I was paying attention. So I, I can cook. You know, so I enjoy food and food recipes and, and food culture and all that kind of stuff. So I enjoy making up recipes. And so I did include about 21 original recipes in my book, Holiday Jubilee. That looks so much fun. I'll tell you what happens when you serve a your pump ball. And what? that is, uh, first of all, everyone runs away screaming like <laughs> that and they all come back. What is the um, a suggested portion? Oh, well, <laughs> I mean, you know, the... So how bad can it be? Pie stuffed in cake? You know what? It's actually a, an amazing, well, by today's standards, we say flavor profile. But, you know, I mean, the thing is, and people are like, oh, I wouldn't eat that or whatever. Oh, yes, you would. Please. I think Everyone you can have a few bites of about food, but you're eating like macaroni and cheese and sliders at nice parties. You can have I mean, a few bites of anything just to have you. the experience. And yeah, that, exactly. looks, that looks like a lot of fun. It is, now, but you know, I think that, you know, our, most of the food we eat is unhealthy, I think. Right. But we're not here to talk about healthy food. Or right. <laughs> now, I, what I want to know is when you go online, what do you, is there something every day that you'll check eBay to see if you could find? Well, my new obsession is, or my new latest obsession is real estate. Mm. So Zillow. I'm oh, obsessed yeah. with searching crack. what is the housing stock in Southern California. Oh, that's crack. I mean, what what's out there that's unique and what's where where's something special? I mean, most houses are just average. Um, you know, Southern California has a very wide variety of architectural, uh, residential architectural styles. I mean, more so than anywhere else. I mean, there is speaking of variety. I mean, Southern California, we have more variety here than anywhere else on the planet. I mean, just just naturally, we have the variety. I mean, again, I'm like fresh with these friends from Chicago that have never been here and I'm like pointing out things, but I'm like, okay, I live in Silver Lake. So, I mean, right now in 26 minutes, I could be, if I stepped on it, I could be stepping in snow because it snowed the other day. Yeah. In 26 other minutes, if I step on it and know to avoid the bottlenecks, I could be my foot in the ocean. So it's like, Go find that in Chicago, Chicago people. I mean, not talking trash about Chicago because you know I love Chicago, mm. but because there's something interesting everywhere. But yeah. we've got so much variety here. But architectural styles. So the one street in Los Angeles that I always tell people to go up, if you want the sampler platter with the crowning touch, with the frosting on the cake, Beachwood Canyon Drive. Where yes. the ah. That is the street that has virtually every architectural style from like, you know, 1899 and every other style that they did up until like some trendy, you know, mod styrofoam box that they built last year. I mean, it's all there on Beachview Canyon Drive. And would you say that the most desirable architectural style in Southern California is right up your alley, mid-century modern? All my friends are looking for a mid-century modern house. What, well, what did you say, Fritz? What about all it? of my friends are looking for a mid-century modern house. What is a mid-century modern house? Mid-century modern is basically uh, post and beam. I mean, mid-century modern is minimalist architecture. Ah. You know, we had we, they were building in the mid-century era. They were building, you know, a lot of different architectural styles. I mean, ranch-style homes. That's kind of the the number one kind of motif of the day. But mid-century is about minimalism. And mm -hmm. it's you know, a lot of glass, 
glass, flat roof generally, or, you know, a roof that went cockeyed or whatever, <laughs> but it's simplicity. It's all about simplicity. If you want mid-century modern, the mecca of mid-century is Palm Springs. That's where it lives on. That's where it lives. That's where it's celebrated. And mid-century modern homes are not that easy to find. I mean, a lot of them got remodeled, um, but they're, they're hither and yon. They're around, but they are not easy to find. But they're out there. I, 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 if somebody asked me to describe one, I, you, you have taught me how to describe them. My, my friend said, well, we're, we're looking for something mid-century modern out in the Calabasas area. And he said, well, that's great. Don't send me out looking for it because I wouldn't know what I was looking at. Well, you're not going to find it in Calabasas. No, that's too really new. weren't really building in Calabasas. If yeah. you want to move to Calabasas, you know, think about a house built in about 2002 and you're going to be <laughs> in luck. So speaking of mid-century modern homes, do you have a um, preferred sitcom aesthetic that... Yes. That, okay, well, the sitcom, I mean, just because of the way I, I mean, the era of which I was raised, I mean, I'm like a cross between I Love Lucy and Sonny and Cher. Ooh, okay. <laughs> there you and go. Cher show was on in the early 70s. You know, I, I wanted to dress up like Sonny. I loved his clothes. He, he had, and I, now I do. Um, you know, like, careful <laughs> what you wish for. So, and then I Love Lucy, I mean, you know, I mean, it was, it was just like the perfect storm of a perfect show. And, and it happened to be presented at a time that, you know, I was laying in front of the sofa or laying in front of the television on the sofa my whole childhood. So, But those establishing shots, for example, the Brady Bunch or Leave it to Beaver, those establishing shots, do you have a favorite house? Well, you know, it's funny. I went to the Brady Bunch house. Um, it's, it's quite a, well, it's, I'll make a long, I'll make a short story shorter. I got invited to ride on the Wienermobile. The Wienermobile, yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. Ostermeyer Wienermobile. Yep. This is about, uh, this was nine years ago. Um, come over, we're taking a ride on the Wienermobile. So I go over to my friend's house in North Hollywood and she said, uh, oh, by the way, we, I, it's three people. So it's the person doing the inviting, my friend. And she said, the other person that's going with us was uh, C- Cindy Brady on the Brady Bunch. Uh, Susan wow. also was her name. Right. And so there she was. I said, Susan, you're a television icon. She goes, gosh, thanks for saying so. No one ever mentions that. I'm like, what? <laughs> anyway, so we get on the Wienermobile, and they both, the driver says, where are we going? You have two hours. Where do you want to go? I'll drive you anywhere. And I said, we're in North Hollywood with Cindy Brady from the Brady Bunch. We're Hello? going to the Brady Bunch house. Yeah. So we went to the Brady Bunch house with Susan Olson and pulled up in the Wienermobile. There was not a soul in sight. And literally, we get out, we look at the Brady Bunch house, we go like, whoa, there it is. <laughs> and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I am holding back legions of dedicated Brady Bunch fans from her saying, please, everyone, just stand back. I had to protect. Wow. That, to was, protect that was you and the Wienermobile that were drawing people. I'm sure they noticed the Wienermobile first, but then <laughs> that is adorable. So was this after the Brady house had been redone, which just was finished at like two this years This was ago. way before that. Happened. Oh, okay. That just happened, I guess. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, the Brady Bunch, uh, you know, I'm, I'm of that era. So yeah, I watched the Brady Bunch as well. So, you know, I've seen that avocado green and orange kitchen. <laughs> Let's talk about your special this Saturday before we run out of time. Yes. So it's Addicted to Americana. So what are they going to see on here? Live stream on YouTube. I'm performing it live Saturday night at 6 o'clock, live on stage from the Torrance Cultural Arts Center. Um, although you're not going to know where I am. But basically, <laughs> it's, it's based on my book, Addicted to Americana. It's celebrating, you know, really kind of the kitschy stuff, but it's real hard hard history. Let me see if I can open a page up and see what we get here. Um, well, okay, well, that's a good one. That's, you know, me and Torrance <laughs> nice. uh, in front of the Foster's Freeze. So basically, this kind of sums it all up. It's a celebration of the light side of Americana, but, you know, with and with a twist of humor, with a twist of humor. So is it pictures? Is it slides? Is it videos? It's, it's mostly still images uh, that I present one at a time. And I tell the stories that go along with them. It's, it's one of my live shows. Just, you know, I was forced to go digital. And mm-hmm. at first I panicked. I'm like, I'm so used to a live audience. How am I going to do this? Well, I just kind of decided I was going to do it. So I did it for my holiday show. And it really, it was successful. So now we're doing the Addicted to Americana show. And you know, it's something that I should have done a long time ago, take it digital, but I just, you know, really enjoyed that live interaction. You know how it is, Fritz. Well, I'll tell you, as I said at the top of the show, uh, just as this conversation has made me smile, this is exactly what we all need right now. It's 
it's just uh, something that will put you in a spectacular mood because you, uh, those of us who are old enough remember that era and look back fondly on it, even with its blemishes. But it's really wonderful, and you do it with such great humor and personality. It's, uh, I'm sure it's going to be an enormously successful night for you. I hope so. We've really enjoyed talking to you, Charles. Yes, Thank we you very really much. CharlesPhoenix.com, 6 o'clock Pacific Time, Saturday. All right, here come the closing credits. We would love for you to join us online on Instagram and Twitter, where we are at MediapathPod, and on Facebook, where we are MediapathPodcast. You can find full episodes with all kinds of bonus visual content on our YouTube channel, MediapathPodcast. We would love to know what media you've been enjoying, so you can contact us at our social media or email us at MediapathPodcast at gmail.com. We want to thank our guest, Charles Phoenix. Our team includes Dina Friedman, Francesco DeManda, John Maddox, Sharon Bellio, Bill Filippiak, Thomas Hubble, Alex Gilroy, and you. I am Louise Palanker here with Fritz Coleman, and we will see you along the media path.